Hi, Nick. Thank you for joining us for today's uh, Failure Fair podcast. First, would you introduce yourself and tell us what your position is at CARE? Yeah, hi, Vidya. Vidya, great to be here. So thanks very much indeed for inviting me. Nick Osborne, I am the Vice President for International Program and Operations uh, based in Atlanta. You agreed to talk to us today about something you were part of a few years ago, the transition of CARE Sri Lanka from uh, a country office to a Sri Lankan social enterprise called Chrysalis. Can you set us up with a little context for what prompted this journey and also what your role was in this process? This was part of a journey that I guess in many senses that we've been on for, for probably the last six or seven years. I mean, it was a journey that Certainly the way that I frame it started in 2011, when as an organization we started to take a hard look at um, our country presence. And when I say we, I mean Care International as a confederation. We started to, to realize that we needed to take a look at uh, country office presence and, and look at it through lenses that, that questioned our viability, um, questioned our relevance, question the sort of reputation that we were having in the context where we were working and in light of that explore whether or not we were set for being fit for purpose in that particular context and therefore look at reviewing that presence we had in that particular context in terms of saying should we and should we continue in in the way that we're already configured and set up or should we look at alternative forms of, of presence that we could evolve towards to be more effective, to be more impactful, to be more viable, uh, and to have a, a greater, more um, inclusive relevance in, in that context where we work? Um, so that was a process that I said that started in 2011 and led to us making some choices around countries that we would look at in terms of assessing um, along those different criteria. Uh, one of those countries at the time in the first cohort of countries was, was Sri Lanka. This was a, a country that had previously um, gone through a response to the Asian tsunami, at the same time had also dealt with a very long-standing ethnic conflict and therefore was coming out of that at a time when um, there was a government that was in power in, in Sri Lanka that had seen itself as, as being the, the, the victors of a, of a war in Sri Lanka and was really in many senses falling out of favour with uh, many of the donors that have traditionally supported Sri Lanka. And therefore, context in Sri Lanka at that time was one where there was decreasing funding available from, from our traditional donors and also having come to the end of a tsunami response was really therefore questioning the relevance and focus uh, and impact that we were having and therefore the, the viability that we could have moving forward. So that meant that we were at a point in time where we really had to, to question that and think about what that future held for us moving forward. So what did the process look like? I know you went through a country presence review initially hiring some external consultants, but what did the, the process look like from there on? The process at that time, first of all, started off with a strategic planning um, process to really define what uh, CARE's strategy was for, for that particular context. But then also then said, well, let's, let's look at a presence review uh, that would, would articulate what sort of form our presence would take in that context. A country presence review was undertaken in Sri Lanka probably around about 2012. The idea at that time was to, to bring in and work with some external support. So the external support 
that came in to work with Country Office was provided by Accenture, and they worked with the Country Office, but also at the same time worked with a steering group that was representative of different uh, parts of the Confederation. So it was representative of both KUSA as the lead member, uh, but also other members as well that had an interest and an engagement in, in Sri Lanka at that time. So the country presence review took place over a period of time and really assessed whether or not Care Sri Lanka in its form at that time made sense to continue in, in the way that it was at that time set up or whether or not it needed to make some significant uh, transformational changes in the way that it was set up in, in Sri Lanka to be able to continue to have the impact that it sought in light of or in line with its strategic plan at, at that stage. So this is it, the process took place, Centra was engaged and they moved through that process and presented at the end of that process a country presence review report that focused on there needing to be a, a transformational change in the way that Care Sri Lanka was set up or established in Sri Lanka to be able to, to continue working in Sri Lanka in the future. And there, on the basis of that, then, then Care Sri Lanka then sought to transform and change in line with the recommendations of that country presence review process. I was looking through this report called The Road Less Traveled. There's a call-out box I thought was quite interesting. It says CARE was anticipating a serious decline in institutional revenues, yet that CPR did not address how the need and improved presence would be funded. And it didn't look at the opportunities, the market, the competition, trending projections, potential products, etc. What was the role of the uh, CARE Sri Lanka staff to then take that process forward? And specifically, how were staff engaged or not engaged? And what was their buy-in into the process? The process at that time had, had laid out a direction for the country office in line with the country presence review. I think at that time, what was then realized was that perhaps not sufficient engagement had been included across staff from the organization. I think as an organization, we, we often undertake these processes and we assume that we've included all of those that need to be included and therefore come up with a, a result or a, or a proposition or a proposal, then assume that it's then going to get rolled out. I think in the case of Sri Lanka, that proved not to be the case in that when the country presence review was done and then it was rolled out, it was clear that not everyone in the country office had had sort of bought into or been engaged sufficiently in the process. I think at the same time related to that as well is that we, when we do these processes, because we do them, there is often amongst many of the stakeholders that are engaged in this, sometimes lip service to some of these processes and an assumption that we will, we will undertake these processes and that it's okay, we'll participate in it, but at the same time, we'll always revert back to business as usual. So there's not necessarily full ownership and engagement to really get behind the change that's necessary. And I think that was that was something at that point in time in Sri Lanka was, was evident um, in that President's Review had been done, it had presented a, a proposal, but not all staff were involved. And those staff that felt they were involved also looked at it as being, well, we've been promised changed in the past. Do we really believe that there's going to be change now in the future? So I think that was a critical learning of, of the process at that point in time. Aligned with that, of course, also was that a lot of the assumptions I think that had been made by the presence review were also proving not to not to be true. As I said before, it was going through a period of time in the country where there was a decline in in donor funding. I mean, specifically from the Australian government and the Canadian government, 
that had been foreseen as being opportunities that would continue, but they in of themselves weren't available. So therefore, country office themselves facing a challenge in terms of their ability to to move down the path that had been explored and from an ability to raise the funding to be able to support that. And I imagine that with the process that's new to CARE, um, I, we hadn't gone through this CPR process before, staff, for staff to understand what that entails and what the implications are is a big leap. So how did you in the end bring staff along or did they come along at all? One of the key lessons I think early at that stage was the importance of engaging staff, not just at the early stages, but at all stages to ensure that there's ownership uh, in this process. So I think at that time, the country director then undertook a process of getting out and explaining um, to all staff in terms of what process was and the direction that was being taken. The other thing that's really important as well is also getting senior management in the country office behind the changes as well, because it's important that everyone's speaking with one voice as well. Related to this was that, you know, the CPR in and of itself is really just a first step. And it's often very much easiest step as well. It's actually the actioning and the plan and the actual rolling out that's the most difficult uh, part of that as well. It's actually business planning, putting in place or translating what's proposed into action that then becomes the most difficult part as well. The country director at that time spent a lot of time and effort in terms of going back to staff and engaging staff across the organization into truly truly helping them understand what the implications were and the direction that was being posed uh, to move forward. Having said that, I think even even at that stage, there there was still some that were skeptical, still some that weren't sure about it being the the, the best way forward, some that didn't feel that it was going to be the direction to go. But then at the same time, there was also a large number of champions in the country office as well that that really saw the the potential and the the need to take this, this different direction. I want to ask you a little bit about Care USA's role in this transition. I read in Jude's report that Sri Lanka had reached out to CARE at several inflection points. So their legal status, their funding model, um, there were several several ways where CARE Sri Lanka looked to CARE US for support and where CARE US didn't either have the funding or the, the ability to support them. Talk a little bit about that, like how a, a lead member like CARE US fails or supports a country office through this transition. I think in many senses, it's sort of a double-edged sword in many senses. It was unfortunate that at this point in time when CARE Sri Lanka was going through its transition and it was following this path of, of the presence review, CARE USA was going through a number of challenges financially. This was during the period of the financial strategy that CARE USA was, had, had put in place, which meant that there was a number of challenges in terms of what could be and couldn't be supported. So at that particular time, it became very difficult for KUSA to be able to commit to uh, or support the country office financially in terms of, of some of the, the, the transitions that it was it was proposing at that stage. At that, that time as well, as I said, you had that financial challenge. That meant that I think the onus then was on the Care Sri Lanka team to then really look at ways and means of engaging with KUSA, but also other members as well. I look back at this and reflect on this and think that in many respects, that it actually enabled a lot of entrepreneurialism from the country office in terms of, of staff in the country office who felt really committed to feeling that there was opportunities for ways in which the country office could evolve moving forward. So at that time, that's when 
looking at the different options, there was the idea that if we keep going and we don't get the financial support that's required from KUSA, then we're going to be faced with, with a situation where CARE's presence as CARE Sri Lanka is going to have to close down in Sri Lanka because there isn't the financial support to, to enable it to continue. So therefore, faced with that decision, it was quite an ominous situation CARE Sri Lanka found themselves in. So it was out of that, that situation emerged the idea of, of, well, what are some of the alternatives? What are some of the other options? Because clearly there is a need for the expertise and the knowledge and the experience that CARE has gained in Sri Lanka to continue to be utilized in one form or another. So out of that came the idea of, of CARE Sri Lanka establishing itself as a, as a separate entity. And out of that emerged the idea of, of forming a, a company limited by guarantee, which in effect was a, a non-profit entity in the name of Chrysalis that could be established and could take the knowledge and experience that CARE had established over the years and apply it as its own entity, as either an affiliate or, or potentially as a member with CARE International in the future. But essentially, the emphasis and, and the strength behind the staff wanting to continue to see CARE's knowledge being applied to a context in Sri Lanka. So that was something that the country office then moved forward with starting to explore in terms of the potential for that. CARE USA was able to engage in some way in terms of helping through, for example, some of the, the legalities of establishing a, a separate entity, but also bringing some of the knowledge that KUSA had to work with the country team to start to shape what, what that alternative form might take in, in Sri Lanka. But I think at, at that stage, KUSA was not in a position to invest significantly in, in terms of, of a transition. And the easy answer at that stage for KUSA could have, would have been to close down CARE's presence in Sri Lanka and no longer be able to play a role in Sri Lanka. But I think it was... It was the creativeness, it was the entrepreneurialism of staff in CARE Sri Lanka that saw an opportunity for something different, which, as I said, saw the emergence of, of Chrysalis as a, as a separate entity uh, that could then take forward some of the knowledge and experience that CARE had established and start to look at new, new lines of, uh, or different ways of working, looking at different, different funding opportunities, whether that be through engaging with the, the corporate sector, whether that be engaging through consulting uh, and applying that knowledge to different parts of, of the country and different stakeholders in the country, also in, in continuing some of the grant opportunities that, that would emerge over time. I guess you would say out of, a, out of a cocoon emerges a butterfly, right? That's what chrysalis is? Well, exactly. And that's how it's defined, isn't it? That it emerges and expands its wings. It's full of color and it flies around in different directions. And I find it really interesting how transformative this new model of Chrysalis is. They seem to have not just thought about how their operational and funding model changes, but how their influence within the country has changed. Can you talk a little bit about how they engage with um, policy and decision makers as a result of this transformation? I also think that what was being proposed in Sri Lanka at, at this time, as I said, context of limited financial resources and therefore um, KUSA wanting to focus on certain areas where it did have the resources and not focus on other areas where it didn't have the resources. Also bearing in mind at this point in time, CARE wasn't attuned to different ideas and thoughts about how a presence could transform in different ways. Up until that time, the only real models that we had as an organization for transforming our presence were very much guided by the more traditional, let's take a country office 
invest large amounts of money into it and transition it into a local entity that still continues to engage in similar or, or very much the same type of work that it did as an international NGO, but now as a national uh, NGO. Take, for example, Rax Thai, you take, I mean, specifically a good example would be Big Care India, where the organization invested considerable amounts of resources over a long period of time, probably five or six years, into supporting the transition of Care India into CISSD. So I think also at that time, there was a little bit of a trepidation in terms of well, if we were to support transition in Sri Lanka, does that mean that it's going to use up a lot of financial resources? But also what, what, what uh, Chrysalis was proposing was something very different. It was very different in a sense that it wasn't looking to shift from being the traditional international NGO into becoming a traditional national entity or, or NGO. It was looking at how it could transform into very distinct and different lines of business in terms of very much a focus on it on its work around women and girls, very much a focus on sort of and through that policy influence, but also looking at, at it engaging and working in very different ways that didn't require large presence, large infrastructures. And so there, it was offering a different model and a different way of working in a context that actually in hindsight, looking back, has now provided us with a lot of insights and learning that we're able to apply as we think about transition and change in our business model um, in other parts of the world where we're looking at how we might transform from a traditional country presence into something that's much more viable and relevant to that particular context. My last question then would be, what advice would you have for other country offices or parts of the organization like PPL that are going through a process of transforming their operational and funding models to be more responsive and to be more adaptive to changing needs? I think don't underestimate the level of time and effort that needs to be employed in this. Reflecting back on Sri Lanka, the fact that a country presence review or a plan was done, that doesn't necessarily mean that that plan is actually something that, that's going to be the blueprint for moving forward. I think there is a need for adaptability and flexibility in moving forward. And as part of that adaptability and flexibility is, is the need to ensure that there is buy-in uh, and ownership for that as well. I think also a, a recognition that even with the best laid plans, they, they never roll out in a very logical and um, stepped way. They're often lots of changes, um, there's often a lot of chaos along the way. I think also bearing in mind that, that the context that we work in are, are often changing all the time as well. I think looking for the champions as well within these processes, whilst you want to try and engage and involve everyone, the reality of it is not everyone is gonna come along. So it's about looking for where the ownership sits with champions and really drawing on their energy and their determinedness to, to move forward because ultimately in today I think the fact that we have chrysalis in, in Sri Lanka has been largely down to the determination and commitment for, of our staff. They saw the potential, they saw the opportunity, they went out there and they sold it. They sold it in many ways. They sold it to the, the, the membership and they sold it to a number of different actors across the organization. Part of that is getting the right people on board and bearing in mind that not everyone will agree. Those would be some of the examples that we give in terms of advice to move these forward. Continue to learn through this process as well. I think we continue to learn in the work that we're doing 
in the transformation and change that's taken place in, in Sri Lanka and with Chrysalis. I think there is tremendous opportunity for us to learn. We're, we're not the ones that, that are here to provide the learning. We're the ones that also can gain the learning as well from others. Playing that role is important moving forward. Sage advice. Well, thank you, Nick, for joining us today and for making time for this. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure our colleagues around the world would, are going to enjoy this podcast. Thanks very much indeed, Billy. I appreciate it. Appreciate the chance.